You're listening to Canada's Court, your home for all your Canadian basketball needs. Here's your host, Philip Drost. Well, it's arguably the most important part of basketball. Say what you want about defense and rebounding. If you can't shoot the ball, you're going to be in trouble, which makes someone like Dave Love incredibly important. He's a shooting coach from Calgary, Alberta, and he's worked with pros like Lou Amundsen, Grant Hill, and most notably Canadian Tristan Thompson, where he actually got Thompson to switch his shooting hand, and that switch bumped his free throw percentage from 60% to 69%. Right now he's in Florida working with the Orlando Magic, and he joins me on the line. Coach Love, thanks for uh, coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Now, I'm, uh, I'm not sure what temperature it is there, but I got up this morning to go to the gym, and it was already below freezing, so I'm a little bit jealous. Yeah, we're, uh, we're in the same situation here in Calgary, but I, uh, I'm in an enviable situation where I get to go back and forth between here and, uh, and Florida, and it's, uh, it's almost, almost, almost always nicer in Florida than it is, than it is in Calgary, Alberta. So. That somehow does uh, not surprise me. <laughs> uh, well, to start out here, how about we just start with uh, how you first got started as a shooting coach? It is a long story that uh, that is based around luck and uh, and just kind of following your passion and not worrying too much about uh, uh, steps too far ahead of you. So uh, I was like uh, most of us played high school basketball and uh, was a reasonable player. Uh, not a college level player, but a, a good shooter and was in love with the game. And uh, uh, when I was about 14 years old, I was a ball boy for a minor league team in Calgary called the Calgary 88. And, uh, and I met there a player. Uh, he, I was a ball boy. He was a player uh, named Chip England. And Chip was, in my opinion, one of the best shooters in the world. And uh, and has gone on to create quite a name for himself as a shooting coach with the San Antonio Spurs. And I was lucky enough to meet him when he was still in his playing career. And he's a very generous person, sharing information and encouraging uh, me to to explore doing some shooting work um, in Calgary and around Alberta, and just uh, helped me with a blueprint on how to set up some camps and get involved with teams. And then one day phoned and, uh, and suggested they recommended me for a job uh, with the Phoenix Suns. And, uh, and so that's kind of how the NBA situation got started. How often do you uh, go back to him and kind of compare notes and talk about, hey, I'm working with this player. Uh, what do you think I should do here? Uh, it, it's surprising. That's a common question. And the answer is never that we've never really taught. We've never spoken about specific players and, uh, and the work that we're doing either one of us. Uh, I've never asked for his advice with a particular player, uh, nor has he talked about the work that he's done with any of his players. Um, and, uh, and the reason for that is, is just such a case by case basis. And, and a lot of it is based on the relationship that uh, the coach creates with the player. And, uh, and there's a whole bunch of different theories and directions that you could take players. Uh, and it's just really the most important part is what does the coach think and what does the player think? And outside people, even uh, with somebody like Chip, whose uh, opinion I value, uh, he's he's really an outsider in that relationship, and so we'll talk a lot about um, relationship 
uh, and uh, and uh, um, professional development, like the relationship with the player and and creating an atmosphere and those sorts of things. But technically, on specific players, we don't we don't speak about that kind of stuff. Now, take me through what the average day would look like for you. Uh, if I'm in season, then I typically will have a number of players that I work with, and I'll get time with each of them either before or after practice, and that usually is about 20 to 30 minutes per player, um, starting usually about an hour and a half before practice and then finishing a half hour or so after practice. And then I might get uh, a player to come back in the uh, the evening and do just a little bit more work or a second workout in the evening. Uh, if it's a game day, then obviously we have a, uh, a game that evening. So I'll do the same thing where we get players to come in before game day shoot around in the morning and, uh, and do an individual workout. Then have game day shoot around, uh, leave them for the afternoon, and then they start to come back usually around 4 o'clock for a 7 o'clock game. And, uh, and again, get 15 minutes with each of the players before they, uh, they head out for uh, pregame warm-ups about uh, 15 minutes before game time. And during the game, is it kind of hands-off and you just let them play, or are you giving them any sort of advice during the game? Uh, I actually try and stay away during the uh, the games. I want them, and this is something that I really kind of uh, focus on, that we do our work uh, to build new habits that we trust in the practice gym. And when they get out on the game floor, that's their chance to do what they trust in that moment. And no shot is ever going to be perfect or very few shots are going to be perfect within games just because there's so many variables. But uh, uh, trying to allow the players to do, to react and do with the, what they, they think is best in that moment um, and not be in their heads as far as things that we're trying to, to build. And that's, it's hard to do both for myself and, and for players, but uh, just try and let them be players in that moment. And then the next day start working again on, on solidifying new habits. So do you take notes during the game or do you just uh, let the game be the game and wait till later? Uh, I do take notes. Uh, they're not uh, as extensive as somebody might think simply because of, there are so many variables and mm -hmm. uh, so I know what each player that I'm working with is, is thinking about. Uh, and, and then just I'm paying attention to how well did they execute that habit. And, uh, um, and then, so I'm not, I'm trying not to micromanage them and go shot by shot basis, uh, because of course mistakes will be made, especially when you're being guarded by five of the best athletes on the other team. So, uh, so not trying to micromanage, but just trying to be aware of the habits. And then for my my own uh, peace of mind, determine where they are with those habits. And obviously the answer will always be we, we need to keep working because nobody's perfect. But uh, uh, are they improving? Um, if they did make a mistake, was it a reasonable mistake that uh, that was forced? Or was it a sloppy mistake that uh, that they could have controlled? And you've mentioned this a bit already, uh, but relationships. Tell me about why that's uh, important to develop during these sessions. Well, you, you mentioned in the intro that it's arguably the most uh, important skill in the game, and it's uh, 
one of the most personal skills to each of the players. And uh, they don't, in a, in a lot of cases, in the beginning of the relationship, they don't know me or they don't know me very well. And here I am coming in, uh, offering advice on how they should change um, for what theoretically will be the better um, down the road, but they don't know that. And so I, I have to ask them to be vulnerable and to to let me, uh, to ask them to learn to trust me. And uh, and that just takes time. So you're really getting to know each other. And, and I ask all sorts of silly questions in the beginning with players, uh, like about favorite movies and embarrassing songs that they might have on their phone or uh, just to kind of get to know them find something to relate about and and then encourage them to to ask me because they can't just be a one-way street I need to be vulnerable with the uh, the players as well uh, in whatever way that uh, that may happen now I uh, I've looked a bit at your resume and you've been with some pretty impressive teams you were with uh, the Suns as they were at the tail end of that Steve Nash run you were with uh, OKC when they had a lot of those really good young guys is there and so I'm assuming you've been around some uh, pretty incredible shooters is there something that kind of connects all those great shooters I know shots are are very different but is there something that's in all of those shots that makes them good shooters yeah like and that's something that I try and think about um, because every I think every shooting coach has their own theory um, and they can vary quite a bit and then they're, they're going to vary from player to player as well. And, and so I really pay attention to uh, how players connect to the floor and how they connect to the basketball. And so they've got the, the two extremes where we've got the lower part of their shot and we've got the uh, uh, what ends up being the highest part of their shot. And if you can get those two things right, then the middle, to a certain extent, takes care of itself. Now, I'm, I'm oversimplifying, but... Uh, but generally, if you can get a player to connect to the floor, which is just a fancy way of saying get on balance, uh, then they're going to be fine. And if they can uh, shoot the middle of the ball along their target line consistently, then then they're going to be fine. So those two connections end up being uh, the things that I pay attention to the most and the things that I see that the great players tend to do uh, better than, than others. Uh, of course, mistakes always get made, but but they generally tend to be on balance when they have the chance to be and, uh, and shoot the ball. The ball leaves their hand well. So if they're doing those things, does the, the form make that much of a difference? Because there's some forms you see in the NBA, and I'm thinking back, I don't think Sean Marion was on the Suns when you were there, but he, uh, he had a pretty ugly-looking shot, but it still went in. Does that matter that much? There, I liken... Uh, the shooting technique to playing blackjack. And so there's all these little guidelines within blackjack where if you get two aces, you split them. And if you have this and the dealer has that, you should hit. But if the dealer has this and you have that, then you need to stand. And all these little things. And all these rules, if you play them perfectly, they don't guarantee that you're going to win every single hand. All they do is increase the odds that you're going to win that particular hand from 49%, and you're going to lose all your money to 51%, and you're going to make a bunch of money. And shooting is kind of like that. If you if you have all these little habits, uh, 
and make a lot of mistakes, you're just increasing the likelihood that you're going to, to miss shots. And there are going to be some that you still do make. Uh, if your habits are all perfect, you're just increasing the likelihood that, uh, that, uh, the, that particular shot will go in. Uh, but you're still going to miss some. And it, your example of Sean Marion, it was it's a funny-looking shot for sure compared to what we're used to, but he was in fundamentally sound positions. Uh, he had decent balance, but he was on the middle of the basketball. It just never really got above his eyebrows. And, uh, and if you can be on the middle of the basketball, the ball goes straight. So as much as people can make fun of that particular shot, uh, it was there were fundamental aspects to it that were pretty sound. Now here's a, here's an important question. Who taught you to shoot? Um, a combination of one. See, and that's, that's the thing is a, a shooting coach. I, I have to be careful that I, I never take credit for a player's shot. Uh, I've worked with a lot of players and I, I would like to think I've played a, uh, a role in, in them getting better, but uh there's obviously other people that that have played similar roles, and for me to say that I was the mo- most important part is would be awfully uh, uh, self-absorbed. But uh, for myself in particular, uh, equal parts my dad, self-taught, and Chip England. That uh, and I think everybody has that self-taught uh, aspect where you you spend most of your time as a shooter alone, and uh, and figuring things out and trying things and. Uh, I probably drove Chip crazy because I would see him every summer for five summers and and then not see him during the winter. And uh, being a stubborn 15-year-old like most 15-year-olds are, I would end up uh, listening to what he said in the summer and trying it and then drifting back to what I saw Larry Bird doing because Larry Bird was my uh, supreme hero. And uh, and then Chip would come back in the summer and, and try and convince me to to shore up some of the uh, fundamentals that I was lacking because I was trying to copy somebody that just had ungodly hand-eye coordination. Now, talking about a player that you had an impact on, uh, Tristan Thompson. So you actually made history in 2013 when you, uh, I'm not sure how this came about, and I'll ask you, how did it kind of come about that um, he switched his hands, on uh, his shooting hand? I actually came in after that decision was made uh, where the the Cavaliers had kind of watched him for a couple of years and seen him kind of goofing around with other players having uh, weekend shooting contests. And, and over time, people started to whisper, I think he might be better with his right hand than he is with his left. And, and Tristan's very ambidextrous to the point where he doesn't even know which hand is more comfortable for a lot of things. And, uh, and so they sort of planted the bug in his ear that we think you might be right-handed, not left-handed. And over time, he came around to that idea and finally said, okay, if I switched hands, what would that look like? And they said, well, we'd hire somebody to help you. And, uh, and that person ended up being me. So I can't take credit for the, uh, the idea that was Tristan and the, the, uh, the Cavaliers. And how do you kind of going go about starting that? Because I mean, I don't know. Have you ever had a case like that before, where someone was using supposedly the wrong hand? The I, I'd never experienced it before. Uh, I've only heard of it really once since. 
especially at the NBA level. That, uh, uh, but so it, there was excitement for me around doing that and trying it and just seeing um, seeing all the things that nobody knows and and learning the uh, the aspects that like you, you don't know what you don't know. You don't. Uh, I didn't have a sense of how hard it would be. Would it would it be hard because he's starting over, or would it be easier because he doesn't have really any cemented bad habits with that that hand? And so we had to kind of get into it and and learn together uh, as we we're going. And there were a lot of times where um, there were a couple of moments where number one he in. July, we started working in, in May, and in July, uh, for the first time, he just reacted to a shot, and his reaction was to shoot it left-handed. And he, he caught it quickly enough that he, he didn't shoot the shot in the workout, but all we could do was laugh. That uh, it's uncharted territory, and two months in, for the first time, he, he had this horrible reaction that uh, I assumed was going to happen well before then, but uh, and it didn't happen again after that, uh, which is quite amazing. And then learning that uh, he was learning to shoot the ball right-handed and at times would resort to doing that while shooting the ball left-footed. And uh, there would be, you would look at his upper body and think uh, that that's a right-handed shot, but then if he took a snapshot of his lower body, you'd think he was shooting with his left hand. And uh, and so learning to uh, learning to adjust that, learning how to catch the ball as a right-handed shooter, as opposed to catching it as a left-handed shooter, and then having to adjust his grip. And so all these things that we didn't necessarily think about right at the beginning, we kind of had to to learn as we went. So you mentioned it was either going to be uh, easier because he had no uh, bad habits, or harder because he was starting from scratch. Which one do you think you'd say it was? I was really impressed the first day I saw Tristan when I went in uh, for my interview and uh, first workout with him. Um, I was really impressed with how fluid and comfortable he looked with it. He always looked a little uncomfortable shooting it left-handed and uh, looked much more fluid with his with his right hand. So um, I, it, the, the process was uh, easier than I expected it to be. Uh, especially early on, um, but that's uh, it's never easy. Like you, you don't take somebody uh, that is um, that is a below average shooter and and expect to turn them into great. Uh, your your hope is to take below average and get them to good or maybe slightly above average and and then build from there. But you're certainly not going into it expecting that there's going to be um, a, a great shooter that blossoms out of it. So you don't want to set the bar too high and, and set the player up for failure. And the good news was it did end up uh, working out. He improved his shooting percentage to 69%, which isn't uh, the best in the NBA by any means, but it's certainly better than 60. What was it like for you to uh, kind of watch that season unfold and see that shooting percentage go up? Um, it, it, a lot of pride and, uh, and, uh, more so proud of Tristan that he, 
Uh, you talk about somebody willing to be vulnerable to get better. Uh, he really kind of did the ultimate. And when he went to the free throw line for the first time in a game, uh, I wouldn't have faulted him if his if in the back of his mind he was thinking, God, anything could happen. Like anything was on the table. Um, that you just never know how your body is going to react when you make a small change, never mind a massive change, and you're now expected to do it in front of 20,000 people. And, uh, and so it was, it was great to see him embrace that. And, and he's also just such a wonderful person that he was just a joy to be around and easy to, uh, to cheer for and, uh, and wish success, uh, success upon yeah, and I'm uh, and he ended up getting a championship ring. So as you said, you can't take uh, all the credit, but maybe like a fraction, fraction credit you can you can grab grab there. <laughs> um, well, yeah, and that's not something I ever worry about. I, I had the opportunity to be around him for a year, and uh, and that's and he listened to me. That's all that he owed me. So when you work with these guys, do you ever have to? Uh, go back to them and work with them a little bit more again? Or do those kind of habits that you install, do they at least hopefully uh, stick with them? And then once you're, you're done with that year, they can kind of keep going with it. Uh, in the perfect world, you work with everybody through their career because there's always a, uh, uh, the tendency for a human being to resort back to what they're comfortable with. And you think, well, if somebody has a year, uh, they can create new habits, but they have, 18 years with the old habits or, or 10 years or however many. Uh, and there's always uh, losing sight of things or, uh, or just inadvertently reverting back to old habits. Um, so I think the longer you can be around a player, the more success you can, you can have. And a year may seem like a lot, but it's, it goes by in the blink of an eye. Fair enough. Uh, one question I'd like to talk to you about, and it's uh, one I've seen you've actually written on, about on your website, is underhanded free throws. Would you ever recommend someone to shoot free throws underhanded? I personally wouldn't, and there's a, a couple of reasons why that I went into in the, in the blog on CoachDaveLove.com. Um, the, the two reasons why, number one, physically, it's such a different motion um, and so players don't have any uh, muscle memory on that uh, that particular motion, or very few reps with it. And so you're really starting over again. And and I find that um, there are too many variables within that motion. And people think it's a simple motion, but it's not. It's 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 complex. You're trying to lift the ball while holding either the sides or the top of it, and then quickly transfer that to not, not even really getting underneath it, but you're trying to lift the ball up from the top, and that's tough to do. Uh, and then you've got a, typically the right hand shooting the right side of the ball and the left hand shooting the left side of the ball. And so if you push slightly more with either one of those hands, the ball is going to go in the opposite direction. The ball will miss offline. And then there's controlling the arc and controlling the distance. Uh, to me, and I think I have pretty good hand-eye coordination, it's, I find it to be an incredibly difficult shot. So I personally, for the, that, those physical reasons, would stay away from it. But then also there, you can't overlook 
the mental aspect of it. And when you say to a player, I think you should try shooting the ball underhanded, what you are, are uh, the message that you're giving, whether you intend it or not, is nothing else is going to work. This is our last resort. And, and I think there's a subliminal message to, along those lines that players hear that this is the last resort when you try this. And so that puts a whole lot of pressure on them, and it can be hugely deflating if they, they struggle with that uh, motion in the beginning and they think, well, shoot, now I'm just doomed to failure. And I believe that uh, when you're shooting a more traditional shot, uh, I haven't really seen a player that – I don't believe can get significantly better with the, uh, or sorry, let me make that easier. I haven't seen a player that, uh, that I think isn't capable of getting significantly better with a more traditional motion. And that would uh, go for some of these guys in the NBA right now who are shooting uh, like an abysmal 50%. So you're saying that even if it's that bad, it can be fixed. I believe so. Absolutely. It's, it's about learning habits and setting reasonable goals. Um, and I think the, the, the biggest mistake that uh, uh, younger coaches or amateur shooting coaches make is that they set the goal too high and they're, they're trying to uh, teach somebody to be a great shooter. And if there's somebody's hovering around 50% from the free throw line, your first goal should be make 66% of your free throws. Like, just be able to be a competent enough free throw shooter that if you get fouled, you can make uh, one out of two for sure and hopefully a, a decent number of two for twos. And and then once you attain that level of success, then it, uh, you can raise the bar and say, okay, now we're 75% free throw shooters, our goal, and we want to be able to make open open jump shots. And if you can attain that level, then you set the bar, bar higher again. But you don't come in with a, uh, a player who's 50% from the free throw line and start working on step back threes because that's, that's for Steph Curry and Steph Curry alone. Um, and you're <laughs> setting the bar way too high. Now, uh, when you're, you're, what we've talked about a lot is these guys working on their free throws and that sort of thing. Is it different to sh- teaching someone who may not may not be as good of a three-point shooter and getting them more comfortable behind the line? It's, um, there, there needs to be an understanding that the three-point shot is a difficult shot. Because of the distance, it magnifies every little mistake that might be made that you could get away with when you're stationary at 15 feet. Uh, but when you're now moving at 24 feet and being guarded, uh, those those little flaws get magnified. So, uh, and then at the same time, you need to allow for some of the little uh, flaws just to generate enough power to get the ball to the rim. And uh, an example of that is I don't I don't encourage players to dip the basketball, but I acknowledge that at the three point line, almost every player on earth is probably going to have to dip the basketball to generate enough power. The problem is I don't want to teach that because I don't want them thinking they need to dip the ball when they're shooting from 13 feet. And if they catch it at shoulder height and they can get it to their shot pocket and always lifting the ball from 13 feet and they don't need to dip, well, then their shot is going to be that much faster. So um, 
so in game and with more distance of course there's, there's more challenges that you face and that's just kind of the reality of shooting more difficult shots yeah, I can imagine. I'll try and stay to 15 feet then because maybe my three-point game isn't as all it's cracked up to be. Um, no, I'm neither. <laughs> age, is, age is not playing very much anymore. Uh, kind of takes away the range. <laughs> well, uh, Coach Love, I really appreciate your time today. I'll leave you with just – I've got two more comments here. Uh, just uh, I know you can't really talk about the players you're working with now, but I do have uh, Nikola Vucevic on my fantasy basketball team, so if you want to throw in some extra time there, my team would appreciate that. And uh, just tell uh, people where they can uh, find your website and what's on there. Uh, two different websites if you're looking for clinics in Canada uh, or hopefully one day around the world, you can check out theloveofthegame.com. Or I've got some online services that I'm offering now uh, centered around a blog and just teaching uh, different ideas like we talked about today uh, for shooting mechanics on CoachDaveLove.com. So you can check out those or follow me on social media. I think all the social media that I'm on is under Coach Dave Love. Well, Coach, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. Well, thank you. I appreciate the conversation. All right. Have a good day. You too. Take care. Coach Dave Love is a shooting coach in the NBA. He currently works with the Orlando Magic. If you enjoyed that episode of Canada's Court, great. You can find uh, that uh, review button on iTunes and give us a five stars. We'd really appreciate that. If you'd like to interact with the podcast in any way, you can uh, find me on Twitter at Canada's Court. There's also all sorts of different uh, things I'm tweeting out about different Canadian players and coaches on there, so you might enjoy that. And uh, you can also send me an email. Canada's Court Podcast at gmail.com. That's all for this episode of Canada's Court. Thanks for listening.